Hello and welcome to This Week at the Movies. I'm Matt. And I'm Eric. And this week we're looking at artificial intelligence and the way that we have to fight it. This week's film is The Creator, an original science fiction film that opened here at the end of September, starring John David Washington, who's pictured there, Allison Janney and Gemma Chan, who are not pictured. It comes from director Gareth Edwards. We will talk about a few of his films uh, as we move forward. But, you know, humanity, an alternate reality where humanity has ingratiated artificial intelligence because they clearly don't have the Terminator franchise and are not aware of what Skynet they is. Don't, they don't, though. They don't. Because it was in the 50s that they, like, or the 40s or what. This, this is, this is the least happened. accurate 70s period piece movie ever. <laughs> Well, you didn't see it set in 2085. What? No, it's set yeah, in 1970. No, it was like 20, actually, it's 2065. It says when they're about to attack at the beginning, 2065, New South Asia. Okay. Neat. Yeah, so it's supposed to be slightly ahead of where we are, even though a lot of that going backward made it look like they started ingratiating it in the 50s. So basically, if you track the timeline back so it's right before they attack um at the beginning the kind of opening attack sequence it flashes a small 2065 new south asia it's set in the year 2070 but it's set, i thought i could have sworn yeah. that they said the bomb went off it went off 15 years prior yeah, to the so 2055 okay okay I know it All kind right. of changes your. I was trying to get a feel for the timing, and then they dropped that 2065, and I was like, "All right, well, I guess." Kind of a bummer because I was so into the alternate time like history. Oh well, cool. Well, basically, the setup for this, as you get in the beginning, is AI had become a part of everyday life until a nuclear warhead was set off in the middle of downtown Los Angeles. That will ruin your day, your year, your month, your week. But then you'll be over it. The Rembrandts would have to sing a whole new song about it. Uh, but <laughs> it was a very timely reference. Yeah, it was good. Uh, so the United States declares war on AI, but the they, they didn't really want to specify a country. So it's just New Asia. Which yeah. Is all the Asians. country of New Asia. Uh, have embraced AI um, and are living in peace with it. So we keep attacking it. We built a big spaceship uh, kind of thing that helps us win the war. They don't really explain a lot about the creation of that or what it does or what those light things were doing or how it all works. But, you know, at the beginning, there's not a lot of explanation. This one really... Uh, I think it's going to rest a little bit, at least it did for me, on how you invest in the characters and how you invest in where they go in the third act. But I know, Eric, you had questions. I have so many, but I think a lot of them are answered. I think this is a movie that will be favorable on rewatch. Uh, but I'm going to be honest about my opinion as it stands now and just let that be subject to change later. So do you want to go first or what do you want? Well, I, you know, I can start out. Uh, I I was curious about this one. I like the trailers. Uh, I generally like the cast. For me, I thought it started a little bit slow, and there isn't a heck of a lot of development for anyone that's not played by John David Washington. Um, you know, his character gets 
backstory gets some sense of motivation you know he starts out with a certain set of prosthetics that we only loosely ever get an answer to what that and loosely getting answers to things is what you're gonna have to settle for here That's the uh, theme of the movie drop into a pretty you know it would be like if J.R. Tolkien started Lord of the Rings and didn't ever once bother to tell you what the F a Hobbit was, um, that's kind of how I felt during parts of this movie. There are things that happen, you know, at the beginning, they flash you a few things about what this term Nermada means. They have some mm. different subtitles they drop in the middle to divide up sections of the film, but there's not a lot of explanation for anything or how characters got to be even his friend drew who goes from being a u.s covert operative who's going on raids to somehow building ai machines in asia and has a sex robot is the best way to describe <laughs> it not to, not to ruin your day if you're watching it but somehow the it had a beautiful look the visual oh absolutely there's a lot of different mixture you know i got some very strong blade runner vibes at times here yep um you get some very strong rogue one vibes at times which makes sense uh because I've heard people mentioned district nine a little bit too i didn't care for that movie at all so that didn't <laughs> ever once cross my mind as it never does unless somebody mentions it and then i remember my hatred of that film uh so thanks eric i was having a good day broncos finally won you had to throw district nine out there it's like the hand grenade in the salad. but the strong visuals i really enjoyed john david washington i liked the the young girl uh and there was enough for me in the third act uh, of emotional resonance that I ended up giving it, you know, a, a thumb up. I didn't think it was as great as it could be. I did agree with people who said you would be good off seeing it on the big screen just because some of the visual shots and some of the scope of what they're able to do is fairly stunning. Yeah. Um, I guess my only issue is that I, I couldn't pick one single sequence or special individual thing it's just the movie is altogether one of the most visually spectacular movies i've seen in years um and so there's no denying the craft and the direction that pulls some real emotion out of what right now feels to me like a script that dragged the movie down so hard i gave it a thumbs down and I would have to walk through piece by piece a bunch of things that probably someone more, you know, like like quicker on a first viewing would be able to pick up that I wouldn't be able to pick up. But for example, Nirmata, creator, right? Is is that the creator of AI? Because if so, was her father the original? I mean, that's one? what they were kind of saying is the creator of AI and that her father kind of he would be generations too late if well it depends so you're right that opening looks like it's the 1950s but based on everything else they could easily be saying that's like the 90s the 2050s or the 90s or something like that yeah 90s I mean, like, or the 2010s or well, you kind of have to accept that it had to be if that's the case and that being said like what what does that mean she becomes when he passes? Is it a mystical quality to that title that she becomes Nimada? It so like, seems like that title was something that was bestowed by the sentient AI. 
Yeah, it, it does. But also, I just I, so so. Okay, here's the thing. Here's the thing structurally about the movie to me is it's another movie that I, I this is something I hear a lot of people like disagree with me on, and that's fine. But I don't think all movies justify nonlinear storytelling. And I think this one, the non-linear storytelling comes across as somebody being like, and then someone got blown up. I forgot to tell you, they're in love. So they got blown up and that really hurt their feelings. And then uh, so-and-so actually might still be alive. Oh, I forgot to tell you, her father is Nimada. Like, like the whole movie, it feels more like somebody being like, and this happened and this is what you should feel afterwards. And there was enough that I, like you said, John David Washington, this is actually the first time after Malcolm and Marie and Tenet and uh, just like the couple of things that I've seen him in. This is the first time that he talked and I was like, whoa, I heard Denzel Washington's voice. Like that really caught me off guard. But um, it's kind of like uh, Russell Wyatt in Overlord. Like Russell, Wyatt, uh, Wyatt Russell, not Russell Wyatt. Uh Wyatt Russell n- never usually seems like Kurt Russell, but in Overlord, he is clearly playing up to being like his father. And I felt we got a little bit of that in this, um, a little bit of familiarity. I love Ken Watanabe. I loved uh, Gemma Chan it, for what we got of her, even though she's a character that's like pieced together. And uh, Madeline Voiles, I thought was adorable. Uh, enough to earn the emotions of what was going on. So they're just all these little spots and all these little enjoyable things, but the whole thing is fractured and broken. And then I constantly have questions like the whole time. Of course I texted you, how did Maya survive the explosion? And you kind of explained to me, yes. So the explosion that went off would have blasted people into the water. I don't know. I guess still I'm sitting here thinking a concussive blast. Bad enough. I you could be in a coma. Your body wouldn't be disintegrated, I guess. So yeah, I, well, and it seems like the the AI fought hard to try to keep her alive. Yeah, it's it was really bizarre that like, but then at the same time, because you of get how to, revered she is, I, I, I try and I'm trying to keep like the spoilers to like Act One, but like there's My a point question, where they, how do the AI people who they just mapped skin onto, how does it age? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Like okay. there are other threads you can't pick up, and yeah, they talk about Terminator. the little, the little tiny girl aging and growing, and I'm like, yeah, just, but just how? Terminator, you know, just, just, and it, how are it's they organic eating? material on top, so just pretend it ages like organic material. That's that's what they did in Terminator. That's all I'm gonna do because you have to. It's a movie that like begs you to sort of accept things and move on because, uh, for example, this whole war, this whole conceptual war from the beginning, my thing at first was. The movie's not over. Why would the U.S. just stop after AI successfully starts fighting back for the first time in 15 years? Why wouldn't they just build another ship and keep fighting? Like, that's not a victory. But then I was like, wait, no. Because for, can you imagine a full decade of of absolutely nothing but a defensive response from the enemy? And you're still trying to justify as a country putting all your resources into this. I think we would end up with one big doom ship weapon and put all of our resources on that. And then we lost it. We lost it. So. Well, and their big, their big theory was if we blew it up and then had the advantage and didn't press it, 
that we would change everyone's hearts and minds. Fortunately, this movie ended before they had to really explore. You know, I would say a few millennia of history. It like, makes me question whether that would actually be. Okay. I I really don't feel like the ending. I feel like the emotions of the ending were earned, but I don't feel like the ending as written was justified for the motivations of the characters that were set up. You know what? I, it, it reminds me of. Um, the visuals are strong enough to keep you engaged. Mm. This would have been for me what Dune would have been if they would have done any what of a better job about making Paul Eratrades an actual character because ah. I had zero connection to him. So I kind of ended up just giving that three stars because technically it was like a brilliant masterpiece. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I think that's, that's it's... been the case for Denny Villeneuve. Some of his stories, if you really think about them too hard, don't, don't totally work, but that was doing for me was beautiful but mm -hmm. I had zero connection to the story. And for a while, I thought that's where this one was tracking. But there was enough yeah, with John David Washington's Joshua and that little girl in a couple of those sequences and, you know, him seeing his wife in that, you know, and why why is why they build a cornfield in the middle of their ultimate weapon? See, I, don't, I mean, I but I, from a visual standpoint, it's like, you see that i think there's also a little okay. too much for me of the pattern repeating the the doomed uh mission to basically blow up a ship and help a band of rebels i i was 100 that right there yeah if you're if you want to blow up a ship it's a smart idea to put a bomb on one of their missiles to blow up their armory and start a chain reaction why would you put your bomb on the missile that's about to drop out of the ship and well, then he was turn trying the power to get her back to... on. So I wondered about that too. They let the power come <laughs> back on. Why did that missile not fire? I I don't know. <laughs> this whole thing. I, and it's like, it's a big deal that he's like hanging on and he might fall out. And it's like, why? Why? Just, just don't jump on them. Just go back into this back stock and pick another one. Like, I don't... I don't know if just the stakes were there or if it was something lost in editing or if I like, I, I, so I, don't know uh, if I know we've made you more intrigued in th about this movie or less intrigued, but it's certainly, well, I always generally, the <sighs> hard part for me about rating movies is I always end up catching things and understanding things the second time. I'm a slow person. I'm not the fastest person on the planet earth. And I don't mind, you know, like admitting that. And, uh, you know, it's it's that's one of the things that hit me. Um, I really love Brandon Cronenberg's Cronenberg's Possessor, which I got in the mood to watch because of um, sci-fi. Just watching like a gritty, grounded sci-fi. But and this was the second time that I watched it leading up to this, and there was something so much more profound now that the shock value had worn off of what happens in that story, and I I really grew to like that movie more watching it and. This is another one that I'm so like blasted with questions that I think watching the movie a second time, I'm going to be able to either pay attention to the answers or feel the emotions more because I'm not worried about seeing new things every five seconds. So I can see me changing my rating on this later, 
but I can't deny that the experience of this movie was just like an onslaught of reasons, like fighting my ability to engage emotionally with something that I wanted to engage emotionally with. Like it, it wah. The, that's just this one scene where an AI guy is like dead and they have like this little thing that can bring him back to life for like a few seconds. And it was so human and so messed up that the guy's panicking like i only have a few seconds of life and he wants to know these things and they're trying to just get some information out of him but they don't have time to explain to him that they don't have time and it, that was so intense and so specific and so interesting and it was gone like that and i have no idea how it works and that's usually a sign for me that i'm going to end up really liking something about that scene that clicks into something later in the movie that i just didn't pick up on the first time I'm just going to say Dungeons and Dragons did it better. <laughs> yeah, well, they had clear rules. They clear like and you know, they had they had this clear line between like what a zombie is versus what people are. And here they the, this movie sort of demands that you just embrace and accept that AI there's no question of its value as life just as much as human life. And they even make a parallel of the Neanderthal to our species and how, you know, we obliterated them and that's why we survived. And so there's that same question humans always have is like, if AI hits a singularity, is it going to just be the next step in evolution and we're going to disappear? I, we didn't, this well, movie didn't care about that. It was just like, life is life. And you, you're going to feel the same when this guy's, love slash sex robot dies as you're going to when you know another human dies it's the same thing well and I'm somewhere like, oh, in the middle too they kind of toss out the idea that uh, ai isn't even the one that set off the nuclear bomb that it was human error that they decided <laughs> to blame on the robots and you're and, like hey okay, so, that, where's that thread that we're gonna go back to pull on because don't introduce something like that in the third act and then just throw it away right so since we're bringing that up that means literally in the entire 15 years this these ai literally had no motivation to be engaged in a war there's not a single retaliation. There's not a single, we're defending ourselves, so we're going to take offense to defend ourselves. So how are you sustaining a war for 15 years? I, 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 it was, I oh, it's so weird. That's so my weird. My guess would be they, they were trying to, to draw a parallel to the actual very long-term war we were in. Well, I get, I get the idea, but that's that not the kind of thing is... you can just toss in like that and yeah, not well, have it be another part of again, like a second viewing thing. Uh, we know in the real world that war is profitable, and there's a lot of controversy around that. And we know that in the mythology of this movie, uh, AI was obliterated everywhere except for New Asia almost immediately, and so there's a huge. Like, but not really, because that's the other thing. Oh, when you get up onto the secret government ship, they they're experimenting with building their own <laughs> people. So, so you keep revealing more things I don't want to talk about because I don't want like like the ending. Oh, the ending when he's with her. I'm just like, this feels so sweet. What the hell is the reason for that? What are we doing? Like, oh gosh. Yeah. Uh, 
it's fair to ask some of these questions for which we'll get no answers. But so, you know, I have at some point. Uh, if you've ever seen The Leftovers. Um, at some point, you could really ponder a lot of questions and really ask a lot of things or you can just accept for what it is and there's a reason after his experience on Lost that Damon Lindelof for The Leftovers played uh, an opening theme song that basically said let the mystery be hmm. they literally sing those those words to you like there's a mystery here let it be so at some point that's kind of where I was like this is a profoundly interesting visual film i got a few lovely emotional beats uh you know there's a redemption arc for joshua there's sort of a touching moment where he makes out with a robot because it's now carrying the the yep, it's doing thoughts it's of doing. his wife which <laughs> i i honestly for a while i thought he was going to plug that into the little girl and that was what was going to help her achieve because they kept saying she hadn't achieved all she was meant to be and that's what she needed to be able to be successful and i thought ah, he's gonna put oh but just the implications but, that a human yeah. being's soul can be quantified in a memory stick like well that's there's a whole uh, bunch of different uh weird things here because when you're talking about the the nature of the soul and it being able to be created would think that you'd put it on a certain view you know worldview but then they kept coming back to the judeo-christian concept of heaven mm -hmm. which would make you think they were on a different conceptual worldview so again at some point in time you you either let the contradictions be. flow um you know, it reminds almost of latter seasons of Westworld, where you were like, I am sure oh. that they have a very strong feeling for the theology or the government world statement that they're trying to make. But boy, does it not come through. And you I either am too much interested Westworld. in these characters or I'm not. And at some point, you know, I'm just not. You asked but, too much and gave too little Westworld. What kind of led to this collaboration is, you know, Gareth Edwards, I mentioned, was the director of Rogue One. He co-wrote the screenplay with Chris Weitz. They were the screenwriting team that gave us Rogue One, a Star Wars story, which was released back in 2016, which I would say, if you didn't have the words a Star Wars story and you didn't have the last five minutes, which directly connects to A New Hope, mm. it almost feels like its own original sci-fi mm -hmm. concept in a lot of ways because it's sort of wholly disconnected from a lot of the things that we had thought about in both the prequels and the original star wars series i mean there are people that have gripes about the amount of fan service but i generally agree um i love that you use the poster you use that shows forrest whitaker with his hair because infamously this movie was gutted from what it was only a few months before it was in theaters where the trailer shows like, like confrontations and set pieces and things that are not in the final movie. And I had the same sort of problem uh, that I had with Godzilla 2014 rogue one. And now uh, the creator, which is 
you keep directing these actors very well to make me care about them emotionally. And then the emotional things that happen to them don't feel like they're given enough space to breathe or that they make sense or like, like I, there are few deaths in the entirety of star Wars canon that I cared less about than Mads Mikkelsen's Jan Erso's father. I, I just, I couldn't feel anything. And that's, he wasn't really a fully developed character. I think if the ones yeah. that you care about is basically what I'm going to call the suicide squad or, when you're when when they're sending a squadron of fighters and they're like we're gonna send the blue squad and i was like oh i didn't know they had a blue oh oh (laughs) right it's like we've got the gray we've got the gold squadron we've got the green the green squadron let's send the blue squadron i was like they've never had a blue oh right yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, and I like that. There's something. So this Rogue One was early on when they started using the uh, re- the LCD screens as rear projection technology, and they were using it so creatively to like integrate footage from the original Star Wars to let like uh, Red Squadron and and like different things live in the same world. And man, Gareth. Gareth Edwards knows how to create a world on screen and he knows how to explore it. I just don't think he knows how to make you feel everything he wants you to feel. But I think even when you look, so we just named two major franchises he's been a part of. And yet it's incredibly clear that his, entries in those franchises are completely detached from everything else yeah rogue one was meant to be the first kind of outlier they never really went back to that i would say i would contend that that solo is almost more a lot more connected because you have a a major character and you that's what kills some of the stakes you're like i wonder if han solo and this lando calrissian are in danger no oh never he's called the kessel run i wonder what happens yeah, oh, they're going to do some kind of a Kessel run. I wonder if they can get that done in 12 parsecs. <laughs> but, you know, Rogue One does, for the most part, feel completely detached. It answers the question of how did they get the plans for the yes. Death Star. But that wasn't really a question that ever mattered that much to to your enjoyment of watching the original Star Wars films. Mm. Uh, and... You know, you mentioned his Godzilla. That was the first of what is it's still considered part of the mon- mm-hmm. the modern launch of the monsters. Really, none of the same characters, completely detached. You know, whereas Godzilla, God's Monsters, Kong, Skull Island, Godzilla versus Kong, they all have common characters and threads and things that are hooked together. That first one just kind of hangs out there. You know, it was an awkward time of, you know, having just seen Elizabeth Olsen and Aaron Taylor Johnson playing brother and sister brother and, and sister. seeing them as husband and wife. And you're like, I'm not ready for this. Tournament. Again, I can't I can't feel good. anything. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can feel Brian Cranston. But I mean, like, how much of that is Brian Cranston? Like, 
and oh man, he I made mean, Godzilla. So two fascinating yeah. films yeah. that are part of major franchises that feel kind of totally disconnected, but have some fascinating yeah. visuals. And I wonder if that's just where we're we're going to be. Like the creator, fortunately, isn't trying to attach to anything else, but in some ways you probably are more able to look past those disconnects of world building in Rogue One and in Godzilla because you have a familiar, we know those worlds have already been built by someone else where you get to the creator and nobody else built your world. So you don't have to worry about connecting back to anything except for nobody really understands when you drop us right in the middle. Yeah, I really, I really want to see his first film, Monsters, because it's humans on earth with a supernatural element it's the most grounded it could be but it's also i believe a found footage entry so again mm -hmm. the emotional and dramatic stakes of like a theatrical production aren't going to necessarily be there but like i'm just i'm so curious about him getting to continue to do these disconnected projects like i kind of yeah. don't want him to like make the creator too i want him to make a new thing well i i don't want to see another no offense i i enjoyed the creator for what it is not yeah. every movie needs to be a franchise. This one, yeah, this one ended. Well, I don't even know what you. I mean, did it, but you know, still, it's over. Yeah. Secretly, John David Washington and Robot Maya survived blowing up and crashing into the air. Um, you know, I do have one last question for you. Rogue One seems. I never thought about it. Uh, ending up this way when I was watching it, but it seems to be a Star Wars film that really polarizes people. Some people mm. love it. Some people hate it. Yeah. Uh, where does it sit for you among Star Wars films? I've watched it once in theaters. And we just talked about me needing to watch movies twice. <laughs> like it's, I, it's not, it's, it's literally, it just came down to that for me that like, I did not understand the criticism of the movie when it came out. I understand the too much fan service thing, but at the same time, you're trying to set the movie deliberately a few minutes before the beginning of a new hope. How are you not going to overlap with a ton of the same visuals and characters and things? I mean, there's some things that are unnecessary, like, I call him Buttface from A New Hope. Those guys, Doctor Evazon and that guy. Um, you don't, you don't need them, but it's. I, I, I don't have any problems with it. And a lot of people criticize the movie for having stock characters that you can't, like nobody remembers their name. And uh, I don't remember Donnie Yen's name, but I remember him and his partner pretty significantly and their unique take on the force and that being a fascinating thing. Which is interesting that that's a criticism since Cassian Andor basically got his entire Oh Disney my gosh! Series. That whole arc to me was like something that that is something no one ever talks about, how the rebels are a rebellion who are nitty and gritty and scrapping and not necessarily morally in the in the right all the time. And his character always stuck out to me. I was like, Cash and Andor is him. I, more than even Jane Erso. Jane Erso, I, to, to me, like she just. She just I didn't. I didn't feel it just feels like Aaron Taylor Johnson from Godzilla. She's she's leading the plot. She has a personality. She's there. She's driving things. But nothing that happened to her made me feel anything. And because I couldn't it didn't emotionally resonate in that way. I've never felt driven to go back and watch it. So but I also I just I, I there's so many cool and interesting concepts and ideas in there. I never understood the criticism that it's just like like worthless or blown off or, you know, yeah. So, yeah.
Yeah, I, I mean, I enjoy it quite a bit. I have a top three of Star Wars for me, but... It has simultaneously one of the best and worst scenes with the character Darth Vader ever. There's don't choke on your inhibitions, which is hilarious. And I can't decide whether I hate it or love it because of how hilarious it is. And then there's, of course, his giant rampage right at the end. Um, you know, that iconic. Rampage I know. Actually, you didn't like that? No, I liked that. That oh. to me was the best scene. Okay. Don't choke on your inhibitions. Was I thought you were saying word. you liked the. <laughs> no, 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 no. Joking. Didn't like the end. And I'm like, hmm. No, 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 no. And they'd be kind of on opposite ends. <laughs> no. Yeah, there's stuff about the production design of, of Rogue One that, like, like Darth Vader's chain is hanging underneath the rim of his helmet. And then I look at, like, A New Hope, and that is kind of happening with the character in A New Hope. But just, it's so bulky. It's, like, so weird, like, recreating decades later the exact same look that it looks 99% of the way there, which means that 1%, like, really sticks out. So... I don't know. It's crazy. Well, I don't know if you've noticed, Eric, but we are into October. And that means <sighs> a different kind of film is coming. Later in the month of October, we will be getting uh, probably some of the, at least one of the huge contenders for Best Picture in Killers of the Flower Moon. Mm -hmm. But for the first Friday of October, we're revisiting classic horror that just turned 50 years old this year in the exorcist the exorcist believer is what oh comes that's out next up on me i don't want to okay uh, that's what I comes out <laughs> next next week is actually meant to be uh something of a direct sequel um which yeah. you would certainly gather seeing ellen burston so i'll be curious to see what they do 50 years later i already have my ticket for thursday night so uh I might be 72 hours without sleep by the time I see you on Sunday. <laughs> huh. so, My wife uh, yeah. was pretty clear early on. That was not one of the ones she would be seeing with me. Oh, good. Good. Awesome. Yeah. No, I plan on rewatching uh, The Exorcist before I go see it. And so, but I, I always usually end up watching the director's cut because it has a couple of scenes I like, but it also has a couple of things I don't like. It's really weird. But there'll be plenty to talk about then. We just know that this week the power of Christ compels you. Mm. Watch those films. <laughs> hopefully, people like have heaven, like the Creator, like hopefully it's... people have seen The Exorcist and know that. that. Have you never seen The Exorcist? Oh, of course I have. Oh. But I'm saying, like, also, if you've seen anything that ever references The Exorcist, you know that reference. If you've seen This Is the End from Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, it's like a whole <laughs> scene dedicated to it love that um, well uh we'll have to see if uh how we're feeling about revisiting the exorcist 50 years later exorcism films are either a delight or really bad there seems to be no in between so we will see how it goes next week until then we will see you at the movies as you're out there pondering questions